times, but it tells us here that with each of these parables, Jesus did the same thing. He expanded to his disciples said, right now, this is what it means. This means that this represents this and so on. And so these guys got an awful lot more insight into this passage than what we're getting right now. Or that the rest of the crowd got on the day when they sat there listening. He unpacked this to them. So they have had a whole day with Jesus. How would you, do you think that you would, uh, have it? Do you think you'd be there if you were able to sit down with Jesus himself for a whole day and have him talk to you about the importance of trusting the word of God? Do you think at the end of that day you would trust his word? I have this picture in my head that if I had Jesus himself sitting here for a day, if somebody was to advertise Jesus Christ is coming to more, it's a once-only event, there's not going to be a rerun of this, uh, free tree, come on in, he's going to talk about the importance of believing in his word and trusting his word. I'd go along. I would imagine that I'd go with great faith and expectation. At the end of the day, I would never doubt the word of God again because Jesus himself is spending a whole day unpacking it. To What better teacher could there be than the man himself? You know? Well, these disciples had that opportunity. And then we know what happens from here. On the same day, this isn't happening sometime down the track. This is happening at the end of his long seminar preaching about the importance of trusting the word of God, receiving the word of God. At the end of this day, on the same day, he says, right, guys, I'm pooped. Let's get in a boat. I've got to go to the other side now because I've got some other stuff that the Father wants me to do. So they get in a boat and they start to sail across. Now, when they left the multitude, they took him alone in a boat, as he was, and other, other little boats also were with him. So it wasn't just one boat with Jesus and his disciples in it. Okay, There are other boats that are there as well. There are other people apart from his disciples that have gone, whatever it is, to track the miracles, the healings, whatever it is that we've seen or heard, we want to go with this guy. And so they've got their boats too, and they're all sharing. So there's a bit of a convoy of boats heading out across the sea there. And a great windstorm arose in verse 37, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care, Jesus? We are going through a pretty rough patch here. We're going through a hard time here. We've got some stuff happening in our life. And you are asleep on a pillow at the front of the boat. We've just seen you heal the sick and raise the dead and do all kinds of wonders and miracles. And you are going to let me die here and drown on a boat. Don't you care for us, Jesus? It's a pretty wild accusation to make against the Son of God. Don't you care? Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the seas obey him? He's just spent a whole day teaching them about the importance of trusting the word of God, receiving the word of God, believing the word of God. And then Jesus gives them a word. What does he say to them? He says to them, let us cross over to the other side. We're going over to the other side. Halfway through that journey, this big windstorm whips up and the ship starts rocking and so on. Have any of you guys ever been in a boat out to sea when a storm whips up? No, I have. Let me tell you a little story. It's quite frightening. Several years back, uh, I used to do a lot of ministry over in the Solomon Islands. 
and uh, I convinced my wife one day to come over with me while we did a, a really quick trip over there, organised some, tent, some some ministry on a, on a remote island, and then we'd come back to Australia, and I was taking a team of, of, of youth from a church across. And so anyway, I convinced my wife, let's go over there, yeah, I'll come with you. So the way it works over there is you get into Honiara, the capital, you go down to the, the dock where the boats are, you don't go to an agency and book a ticket and get on. You just, I just go down there and I look at all the boats and I walk along the dock and say, anyone going across to this island? And the guy goes, yep, I'm going across at midnight tonight. Uh, fantastic, I'll be here. And, 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 no, and that's how it works. So you give them a few bucks and they'll take you across on their boat. So I meet this guy. He says, at midnight we're going. So I get there with my wife. Midnight we get down to the docks and it's all pitch black. We get on the boat. I give the guy the money. We're on the boat and we've, there's chickens and there's goats and there's 44-gallon drums of petrol they're taking across the island and then there's mothers with their children and there's the crew. It's just a whole mosh pit of people and animals and creatures. So we get on the boat and that's all sweet, no dramas. And I've been to this island before. It's only about a four-hour, five-hour, six-hour on a small boat to get across there. But, but all the way you're kind of inside of an island so it's not like you're way out to sea with nothing. So anyway, we get in the boat and we're going along and, and it starts out pretty smooth. It's okay. But then after a while, it just starts this nice, gentle up and down rocking. And I can already see the blood starting to drain because my wife doesn't do boats. Jackie doesn't like boats. She won't even go in our pool at night time because there could be sharks in there. So the, 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 the sea, it's true. And it's a saltwater pool, so she could have a point. And so this, the, the, the boat starts rocking like this. And then before long, the rocking gets heavy. And then it starts not just up and down, but it starts going side to side like this. And I can see that Jackie is panicking, and she's probably not the only one in fairness. It was a bit of a harrowing thing. See, what we didn't know was that we were the last plane to get out of Brisbane before a massive cyclone came through the Fijian island area. And as a result of that, the swell that was coming up, uh, planes weren't landing anymore. So I didn't watch the news, so I didn't know any of that stuff. So we get out there on that boat, and all of a sudden, the, 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 the swell from this tornado just starts hitting us. And the boat's going everywhere, and I can see Jackie panicking. So... I thought, Roddy, I'm, I'm a husband. It's my job to calm her down. I need to keep her, keep her nice and calm in this situation. So I said to her, okay, Jackie, you don't need to panic because um, the locals, they do this trip all the time, and none of them are panicking. And as soon as I said that, some of the locals start crying and raising their voice and panicking, and the crew was, and I thought, right, okay, that's, that's, that's not helping. They're all going off in their own dialects. And I thought, okay, strike one to L. So then I'm thinking quickly, okay, so what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And I thought, right, yeah, I'll just tell Jackie that, you know, it doesn't matter because we're not taking in any water. So technically we're still, we're safe, we're fine. As I said that, I had my back to the boat holding on with my two hands like this. My wife's sitting on this little pontoon type thing in the middle of it with the nails actually dug about that far into the timber. And so I'm leaning up against the boat and all I could think, so Jackie, it's okay, we're not taking in water. And as soon as I said that, a wave jacked up, hit me in the back of the head came into the boat, knocked me over, and I thought, strike two, I'm really not doing good here at keeping my wife calm. So finally, the best thing I would come up with on the spur of the moment was, Jackie, okay, did you know that modern shipbuilding basically takes its stats and techniques from the, 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 the coordinates and so on that God gave Noah when he built the ark? So if we do go over, we'll just roll and come back up. Well, that didn't work really, really well either. Uh, understandably. So I gave up, shut up, and anyway, we had to ride out the storm for the rest of the night. They tucked in behind an island till the, the sun came up and the storm settled. Then we shot across. And what should have been a six-hour trip took us about 12 hours, 10 hours, something like that. Anyway, it can be frightening being out there in the middle of the ocean at night time in a boat. It can be a, a, a very scary experience. <laughs> and obviously my words were not to be trusted in that situation. I didn't know what I was talking about. I don't have experience building ships I don't have experience in cyclones out on the ocean. I've got nothing to offer. But I thought I'd throw it out there, but my words didn't mean anything. She didn't trust my words at all. 
uh, and with good reason too because I was just making them up to try to calm her down. But Jesus says to these guys, let us cross over to the other side. They wake him up, they panic. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? And he stands up and he calms the storm. And now isn't that a miracle? That he would stand up and say, peace be still and the storm would calm. Now that in itself is a fantastic miracle. But let me tell you something, there's a greater miracle that happened in that story. The greater miracle is that Jesus was able to sleep through the storm. Jesus slept peacefully in the arms of God through that storm. He wouldn't have woken up had the disciples not kicked him, started panicking, accused him of not caring for them. Jesus could have slept through that storm. We go through many things in life, many storms. We go through many situations and circumstances in life. We, we all travel the highs of the mountains, but you know what? We all go down to the valleys at different times too. Unless I'm unique to the rest of humanity, we all have a range of emotions and experiences that come our way in life. And I often wonder how many times do we spend our energy fighting against God, maybe accusing God of not caring, begging God, to stop certain situations and experiences from happening. Because we're kind of wired that way, especially as Pentecostals. We're wired that, 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 that everything should, to some degree, be rosy and good. It's a great thing is happening at the moment, I think, in Pentecostal circles, is that a lot of people are becoming a bit more honest about our life. We do have struggles. We do have trials. We do have things that go on in our world. We do have things that we have to battle. We do have things that aren't that aren't right. I wonder, with those other boats that were going through that storm, that were not the disciples in the boat with Jesus, but the other guys, sometimes I think the greater miracle and the greater witness is not the calming of the storm, but them to go, we're going through the same storm as you, but Jesus, you're able to sleep through it. Why can you do that? What have you got that I don't, that you can go through the same things I'm going through, but Jesus, you can sleep peacefully? Why is that? What have you got, Jesus? What have you got that I don't? It's a great thing that Jesus calmed the storm. It's, 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 it's fantastic that, that, that he did what he did. It's a great miracle. But I often wonder how many things, how many times do we fight against God? How many times do we accuse God, get angry at God? How many times do we throw our faith in altogether? And it all comes back to one issue. Our faith has to be rooted firmly and fastly in who God is, not what God does. What God does changes, is that right? Why did that person get healed of cancer? And why did that person not get healed of cancer? It, 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 bring, it poses the question, either God is unfair. Is God unfair? No, God's not unfair. We know that. Is God unjust? We know God's not unjust. Does God have favourites? Maybe that's what it is. God has favourites. Maybe that one was a favourite of God's and that one wasn't. Well, we know God doesn't have favourites. Is that right? The foundation of our faith, biblical faith, has always been and will always be founded in who God is, not what God does. Quite often our faith is rooted in what God does. 
when God does something, we see a miracle, a healing, whatever, we, we're full of faith and we're excited about God and we love God and we'll climb the mountains for God and we'll street preach every weekend. And with all the... But when God's not doing the things that we think he should be doing, how quick are we at times, just as the disciples were, to accuse God? God, why don't you care about me? God, why, why, why do you let this happen for them and you won't do this for me? You see, faith in God's character allows us to see beyond what's happening. It allows us to get beyond the circumstances of life. It allows us to, to, to place our feet firmly in a place where our faith is not, as James talks about, this reed of the sea that's blown back and forth all the time. One day we're really hot for God and we love God and then next season of our life we care about God, then the next season of our life we do care. The next season we do. God doesn't want his church to have faith like that. That kind of faith is why a lost and broken world look at us and go, you're actually no different to us because we're exactly the same. One day we're excited about life because we've got all the money in the bank or, or we've got the girlfriend or the boyfriend or the marriage is going good. The next day, it's, you're no different to us. You're tossed back and forth too. One minute you're loving Jesus, next minute you're not. These disciples accused Jesus of not caring for one reason, because there was a bit of wind. Jesus who had his faith rooted in the character of his father, knew God's told me this is where we're going. God's given me a plan, a purpose. God knows what I can rest in the middle. I'm not going to drown here. And you know what? Even if the ship does go under, guess what? God is still good. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we're going to go into that fiery furnace and now God will save us. But even if he doesn't, even if he chooses in his own sovereignty not to do that as a miracle, Well, guess what? The next miracle will take place. And in about three minutes' time, I'll be standing face-to-face to to him. That's an even bigger miracle. Our faith needs to be firmly rooted in who God is, not what God does, because what God does changes from time to time. Let me tell you something. If you don't trust a person, you won't trust their word. Is that correct? If you don't trust a person... You can't trust the words they spoke. If you don't trust in who God is, you will never fully trust God's word. Whether it be the word that he speaks to you about your destiny, about your future, about what he has for you, or whether it be the word of God here when you open it up and you see a promise of God. or You will never fully trust God's word if you don't come to fully trust God's character. And the Bible tells us that God is good, God is gracious, God is loving, God is holy. The Bible gives us a whole array, an outline of the character of God is written in this book. And then through the life of Jesus and through the Old Testament as well, we see that character outworked. And we see that God is worthy of being trusted. God is worthy of, 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 of dedication. God is worthy of, of taking control of my world, of relinquishing control and giving it to him. Even though I might feel like I'm heading in the wrong direction, but I can trust God and I've got a choice to make. I trust God in those moments or I argue, whinge, complain. And you know what? The, the sad thing is that Jesus actually stopped the storm. That's actually sad because that was plan B. That was plan B. He'd already said we're going over there. The greater miracle would have been for them to go, what is Jesus doing? He's laying down having a sleep. Boys, I know you don't feel like it, and I know the world is saying don't do it, but grab your pillows and snuggle up. Because that's what God's doing, so that's what we're going to be doing. And imagine all those other boats and the people, what are, what are they doing? Screaming out for dear life, ah, we're going to die. Ah! They're having a cosy up there under the blankets. What is this? 
But you know what? When that storm calmed down the next morning and they hit the other side, what would be the first thing those other boats would want to do? They'd be straight over there. What do you got that we don't? How did you do that? How did you do that? How could you stay so calm through that situation? How could you maintain your faith in the midst of that situation? Well, because I know at the end of the day, my God is good, trustworthy, gracious, faithful. I know who my God is. And because I know who my God is, I know that I can trust that God. A few years ago when Kayla was just young and he used to go to, um, to uh, Richmond Christian College in, in, in uh, Ballina there, I remember taking him to a football match. Now, I picked him up from school one day at about, I think it was about probably 12 o'clock. And I said to him, Caleb, I've got a meeting up at the Gold Coast that I need to go to. Sorry, mate, mum's busy with and the other kids, so I've got to take you with me. Now, he was really looking forward to watching. He used to support the Canterbury Bulldogs in the NRL. He's a trader and he's gone to the Titans now, but he used to have loyalty and he used to support the Canterbury Bulldogs. And so I picked him up and I said, look, mate, I've got to go up the coast. I've got to take you with me. And he wanted to watch the Bulldogs. They were on Friday night football on telly, and he was desperate to watch them. He really wanted... And so anyway, I knew this, and then mum had a plan. Picked him up. I said, I've got to come with Dad. Is that all right? And being a good, obedient son, he said, okay. Chucked in the car, and on the way out, he's going, are we going to be home in time for the footy? I said, mate, I'm not sure. We might be. Could be home in time. Might not be. I can't guarantee it, but I'll try to get home. And anyway, as the day went on, the trip, we went up there and so on, and, 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 and the whole time he's not picking on to anything because the dogs were actually playing up at the Gold Coast, but he wasn't tweaking at all. So we're driving along, and, and he goes, oh, is, is that the stadium over there where they play footy? I said, yeah, that's it, mate. I said, oh, look, I'm a bit early for my meeting. Why don't, we'll just go over there, and we'll just see, what, see how close we can get. And we got over close to it, and he still didn't tweak. And then um, I, the, the, the guy's directing traffic into a car park, and we got there pretty early. The car park was pretty empty, and a guy waves us in and said, oh, oh, look at that, he's waved us in. Let's just go in, eh? We'll go and park the car. We might be able to have a bit of a walk around, but then we've got to get to this meeting, you know? So I said, okay, he still didn't tweak. So then we park the car, and I get out of the car. I say, oh, well, let's get out of the car, and we'll, 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 there's a gate over there. We'll see if we can maybe, even if we just go in and have a look at the grounds, you know. They might be warming up or something. He still didn't tweak. So then I said, oh, sorry, mate, can you go back to the car and get that envelope out of the glove box for me? He gave him the keys. He went back. He opened He got the envelope out of the glove box. He still didn't tweak. So I had to say, Caleb, can you open the envelope? He opened the envelope, and inside the envelope were two tickets to the Bulldogs-Titans match. Now, on the way there, I could see the disappointment in his face. I could see that he wanted to be at home and he wanted to be watching that football match at home. He thought he was going to miss out. He, he, he thought he was getting taken further and further away from what, uh, what he wanted, what the, his desire of his heart was, which was to watch that game. What he didn't realise was that his mum and dad had a plan. He knew nothing about it. He knew nothing about it. He thought the best thing he was going to get out of that night was to sit at home on, tel- on, on the lounge and watch that game we actually had a plan and said, let's take him to the game. He could have argued, complained, whinged all the way up there. I could see the disappointment. And as a father, I was just, it, the disappointment made me more excited because I thought, oh, the, how disappointed you are now. You're going to be so much more excited when we get there. And I'll give you that ticket. I can't wait. And I could see, and he said to me a couple of times on the way, do you think we'll get home in time, Dad? Oh, don't, oh look, mate, I'm not sure. I don't know. Pushing it. Oh, don't. And in the end, I said, look, mate, I, I really don't think we're going to get there. And I could see the disappointment in his face, but I had a plan. He was disappointed, but I knew exactly what I was doing. I had something better for him. And he trusted me all the way. Asked the questions, but he trusted me. It's okay, Dad. It's okay, Dad. If we can't get back, it's okay, Dad. And when we got there, he got to actually go to the game and watch the game. And it can be like that with God sometimes too. God has spoken something to you. God has given you a call, a plan for your life. He said something to you. It might be about uh, uh, 
schooling. It might be about a ministry that he wants to open up for you. It might be about a house you're going to buy. It could be about a job you're going to. It could be about anything. But when God speaks something to you, and then all of a sudden it looks like, God, you said this, and now everything is going in the complete opposite direction. And we want to question God, and we want to argue, and we want to bucket God. It all comes back to that root issue of where is our faith lying? Do we trust God? Do we actually trust God? Not do you trust God to heal. Not do you trust God to bless. Not do you trust God to do this, to do that. Do you trust God? Can you trust God with your life? That's right. Yes, you can. Hebrews 11.6 says that God, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because when we come to God, we must believe, firstly, that he is, and secondly, that he's a rewarder of those who, what? Diligently seek what? Him. Those who diligently seek him, his character, his nature. Those who look to the face of God, not just the hands of God. Look to who God is, not just what God can do for you. And the Bible says that those are the people that get rewarded. They're the people that get rewarded. Those that can seek the face of God. Those that put their faith firmly in God. Those that have a faith that's not shaken because of circumstance or because of situations. Many years ago, before I ended up back here and, 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 and even before I met my wife, I had a, a, an interesting experience in my life. I was living in India. I got saved. I gave my heart to Christ when I was 19 years of age. I had a bit of a journey before that and finally gave in and stopped running away and surrendered when I was 19. By the age of 20, I was in a mission organization called Youth of the Mission. And I'd done some training schools with them and I did some discipleship stuff, evangelism stuff. Anyway, I did this school called a School of Evangelism. And during that time, it was an amazing outpouring of God's spirit up in our ministry center up in Brisbane where I did my training. We were seeing healings and miracles and signs and wonders and they were happening every day. I was a new believer, so I just thought this is normal Christianity. This is what it's like. People get healed and set free and saved and demons are flying out of people and all sorts of stuff. And so I took that training and I was there in this this environment for three months getting trained. Then I was sent over to India to start a ministry center over in central India with a few other people. We went over there and it carried on. I don't know why it happened, but it was like being King Midas. Anyone know the story of King Midas? Everything the king touched turned to gold. That's what it was like. I tell you, everybody I prayed for was healed. Every time I would preach open air, we would see people saved. We would see little churches started in slums. We would see uh, blind eyes opened. We would see people getting up out of mats. We saw it all. It was just amazing. And here I am, 20, 20 years of age, just about to turn 21 years of age, whatever. I've only been saved for a couple of years, and I've got all this going on around me. And I remember one night, me and a friend of mine, American bloke, we got together, and we were having a really deep, meaningful chat about what God was doing and stuff. And we came to this, this thought. We thought, well, God, if, if in my character, let's say, if I'm not ready to handle that kind of stuff, because I can imagine you can get quite proud when everything you're doing is working. You can, it's quite easy to get proud and, and to look around at others who aren't having that success and go, well, maybe you've got some stuff going on. Maybe you must have sin or something. I don't, I don't want to say what it is, but obviously you've got some, maybe God loves me more. I don't know. You can go through these thought processes. So we got together and we prayed one night very sincerely and we said to God, God, if we are not ready within ourselves, if you can see down the track the potential for us to go that way, 
get proud, get arrogant, think we're special, whatever. Then, God, we're asking you to stop this. We're asking you to stop it. Next morning, got up, what we did, get ready to go out to this slum with this uh, African pastor that used to take us out. And we preached, and at the end of our message, we'd always say, you don't have to believe us about Jesus. You know what? He's big enough to prove himself to you. If you're sick, come forward. We're going to pray for you in his name. He's going to heal you. And people came forward. I remember we prayed for this lady, and she couldn't see properly. And we prayed, and we said, now can you see? And she said, no. Oh, we'll pray again. And we prayed again. Now, what about now? She said, no. So, well, we'll just go away and believe in faith, and you'll be healed later on. That's good that way, because then I don't actually know, and I can just tell everyone you were healed by faith. But I can put it on my news later, but I don't really know. But anyway... We did that. And the next person came forward and we prayed for him and nothing. And the next and the next and the next. And the day went on and nobody was healed. And that was outrageously weird. And this went on for a couple of days before we realized, hang on a second, we actually asked God and now this has stopped. So we accepted, okay, well, God, probably a good thing we did it because there's probably some stuff in here where we were going to end up going down a really bad path had we kept seeing what we were seeing. But something changed all of a sudden in my heart. I used to love going downtown on my motorbike and I'd have all these little slum kids that would come along and they would polish up my motorbike and uh, guard it like guard dogs. I'd go do my shopping, come back, buy them an ice cream and have it sit down. We couldn't speak to each other. We'd jibber-jabber in foreign languages, but I'd have a laugh with these little kids. And I'd go, and every time I come to town, this little group of little kids would come running to me. They'd guard my bike fiercely and they'd you know, buy them an ice cream or something. And, and this was a ritual. And I used to love doing it. And then all of a sudden, one day I sat down with them and I thought, God, that's not fair. These kids didn't ask to be born in India. Hang on, these kids didn't ask to have an alcoholic father. God, these kids didn't ask to be sent out to beg, knowing that whatever money I give them goes home and their father takes it and spends it on booze. He won't even buy them shoes. We bought them shoes one day. As soon as they went home, father took the shoes off and sold the shoes for money. So the best thing to do was just buy them an ice cream, something blessed little kids, you know. All of a sudden, I started seeing these things in the, in the, in the world around me and going, God, that's not fair. God, that's not fair. That's not fair. God, that's not fair. And this went on for several months and nobody knew about it because I kept it all in my heart. I kept playing the game, but deep down inside, I was questioning and I was getting critical and angry at God. It came time for me to do a visa run. I had to jump on a, a bus and, and trek up to Nepal and reapply for a visa so I could come back into the country. So I jumped on the buses, went up to Nepal, came back down. And when I got back down, uh, sorry, went up there. When I got there, I went to a travel agent and without telling anybody I worked with, Booked a plane from Nepal to fly out of Nepal to fly back into Brisbane. I didn't tell anybody, I just did it. Got back to Brisbane, I called up a family member, said, can you pick me up and tuck me in your car? They drove me back down to Ballina, where I, I went to high school and where I got saved. I didn't tell anybody about it. I just thought, at the end of the day, God, I don't like you because you're unfair. It's cruel. You're cruel. You're this, you're that. I had all these experiences that all of a sudden turned around and I hated God. So much so that when I stopped at Bangkok Airport, I went out and bought all this heavy metal music that I could find at the airport and put it on my Walkman. All the stuff that sang about how bad God was and hate God, I bought it all. And I, because I genuinely, with all my heart, wanted God to hate me. I couldn't escape his reality. I knew he was real, but I wanted him to hate me as much as I hated him. And so I bought this music. And I got back to Bell and I spent days walking back and down laneways by myself with my headphones on, listening to this music, hoping it would eventually permeate into me enough that I would not only hate God, but I could go on with the rest of my life without even believing he was there. And you know what? He annoyed, he annoyed me because I knew the whole time I was walking along. I can't tell you how I knew it. I just know. He was about three feet behind me, about two feet off to the left of me. And he walked with me for days and it annoyed me. 
and I would stop. And I must have looked like I had mental problems. I would stop and go, leave me alone. And I knew exactly where he was. And he would stop and fold his arms and go, I'll be here when you're ready. This went on for three days. I would walk, leave me. I'll be here when you're ready. I'll be here when you're ready. He followed me around. A mate of mine from Brisbane who heard what had happened this after about two weeks rang me up and said, Al, can I come on down to uh, Ballina and have a chat with you, mate? I said, it's a free country, mate. You do what you want. He was a Christian guy, so I wasn't going to treat him real good. So he came on down to see me and bought some fish and chips. We went and had some lunch. And he said to me, what's going on? And I broke down in tears. For the first time, I started bawling. I said, I can't follow a God who will let alcoholics have kids. I can't follow a God who will allow babies to be born into drug-affected families. I won't follow a God who will allow a whole country to be impoverished like that. I won't, I won't, I won't. I, won't. I can't follow that, you know. And all he said to me was, you know what, God's okay with you questioning. He's okay. And then he said, can I pray for you? And I said, well, it's a free country, mate. Do what you want. So he prayed for me. And I sat there, staring at the water. And then he left, and that was the end of it. Then I got up and I went to walk away, and the Lord spoke to me. And he gave me Psalm 107. I've never forgot it. 103, actually, I think it is verse 7. Psalm 103, verse 7, it says this. It says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. And God said this to me. He said, Alan, have a think about Israel. He said, what were they like? And he said this to me, he said, whenever I was doing what they thought I should be doing, they would love me and worship me and follow me. Manna from heaven or whatever it was. When I wasn't doing what they thought I should be doing, they would go after other gods, they would grumble, they would complain. And God said to me, you know why they did that? He said, because they only focused on my acts. The children of Israel knew my acts, but Moses knew my ways. Moses knew who I was. Moses went through the same experiences they did. He was there too, you know. One group of people who had their faith based in the actions of God grumbled, complained and whinged about everything. Another man there, Moses, who had his faith in who God was. Different response. And the challenge for us today, especially as time goes on and, you know, the world is in a mess. It is in a mess. But we need to be able to stand firm on who God is. Have our faith rooted firmly in that. Know that, okay, God, I'm praying and I'm believing for this, but you know what, if it's not happening for me, or it's not happening quick enough, or it's not happening the way I think it should, I'm not going to be one of those people that grumble, complain. I'm not going to be one of those people that throw my faith in. I, I don't know about you. You probably know them as much as I do. I know many, many, many people I've met throughout ministry. I've seen when we were pastoring churches and so on, who when God, they met God and they got all excited and, and God was doing everything they wanted. And, they're excited. and when God stopped doing what they thought he should do, they threw their faith out back in the pubs now and they're back out here and they don't want anything to do with God anymore. Why? Simply because God's not doing what they think he should do. Don't let your faith rest in the activities and actions of God because they will change. Why will they change? I'm not God. I don't know. But what I do know is if they do change, it's come from the heart of a father who is good, gracious, loving, compassionate, cares for us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us. The only unchanging thing, the most unchanging thing you have in your world is the character of God. 
It's the character and the nature of God, and that's where our faith needs to be placed. Can we get the worship guys come back? We're never going to fully trust the word of God until we fully trust God. And there is a big difference. There is a big difference between trusting in God's word and what he says and trusting in who God is. But we'll never fully experience faith the way that we're meant to until we get a grip of this issue. If you go and you look at the promises that most of us are taught to memorize, most of the promises we're taught to memorize are all about the things God does. Well, my God will supply my needs. My God will do this. My God will do that. How many memory verses have we picked up over the years about who God is? The character of God, the nature of God. Because they're the things that sustain you when things look the way you think they should. Father, we thank you, Lord, today, God, for who you are. Father, we thank you that you are an unchanging God. And Father, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, if, if what we're seeing in the world around us may change, Lord, what we experience in our personal life may change. The relationships we encounter may change, God. The, the vocation we find ourselves in may change. The environment we live in will change, but God, you will never, ever change. You are the same from beginning to end. And Father, I just pray as we go from this place today, Lord, that we would understand, God, we would be able to look at our own life. Father, we'd be able to, with all humility and honesty, have a good look at ourselves and assess our faith, God. Father, just to do a little bit of a re-evaluation, where is my faith lying at the moment? What am I going through in my life at the moment? How am I handling it? God, we don't want to twist your arm and make you perform a miracle. That's not your highest purpose. God, we don't want you to calm storms that you want to teach us to sleep through. Your word tells us that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God. Though we walk through, that means we're going to walk into it at the start. And it's going to be all around us but we're going to come out the other end. And Father, we want to be the people that come out the other end with their faith built stronger. Not criticizing, not pointing fingers, but keeping you, Father, at the center and the focus of our world. If everyone just close their eyes for one second here. If there's anybody here today, I don't know you all, but if there's anybody here today and you do not know Jesus, you've never made that decision, and it's a decision, to surrender your life, and to place it in his hands. He's a trustworthy God. He's a good God. I did it when I was 19 years of age, and my life has not been perfect. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be here if he wasn't a part of it. He wants to touch your life. He wants to change your world. But it starts with you accepting him. I don't want to embarrass anyone today. I'm not going to get you to come out of your chair. I'm not going to call you up the front. All I'm going to ask you to do is an acknowledgement to God is just pop your hand up in the air real quick and bring it back down. Just your way of saying to God, come and do something with my life. If that's you today, just pop your hand up. Apart from that, just as we worship now and we finish up, it's, it's about quarter past nine, we've got a barbecue to get to and so on, but if there's anybody here and you feel like God's spoken to you today, maybe about one of the issues we talked about, about faith, where your trust lies, situations you're going through, maybe you just need to hear from God. And we'd love to pray with you as well. So it's a quarter past. You're free to go. Free to hang around for the barbecue.
but can we just ask if anybody does want prayer, can we just respect that moment for them? Have a great week, and somebody will be here, and I'll see you next week. Cheers.